Hello, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. My name is Naledi Cabo, and on behalf of the Africa Tourism Association, um, welcome to our series of conversations as part of the Exchange.Africa. The Exchange.Africa was created in the midst and in response to the exceptional circumstances as a response of COVID-19. And we've come together to share ideas, thoughts, collaborate, and just really connect. Today, during the new luxury discussion, we will hear from new voices and explore different perspectives, learn about new properties, new products, and hear what travelers are looking for in luxury experiences. Talk a little bit about that. I'm going to go in sort of order of my screen. Um, Claire, do you want to start? Absolutely. So tourism uh, and luxury has definitely changed. I think uh, traditionally people were thinking about uh, you know, hotels and resorts. And now it's kind of expanded um, specifically in the con con continent of Africa to be more than just safari with a lot of urban local experiences. Um, I am the CEO of Up in the Air Life and we are a company that puts together immersive luxury experiences for mostly uh, predominantly black Americans who live in the United States. And our goal is to really showcase not only the luxury in a specific area, but also highlight many of the different urban and local arts and also cultural different things that people can get into um, in the different locations that we visit. Lovely. Um, Judette, and tell us where you're sitting. Give us some context. <laughs> oh, sorry, I have to remember to, to unmute myself. Hi, I'm Judith. I'm sitting in the Kruger National Park. As you can see, it's already nighttime here. So unfortunately, I couldn't share a sunset with you. Um, but I'm sitting in the Kruger station, which is one of our first products that we're opening this weekend. And it's quite an, it's such an honor for us to be um, part of this discussion. Um, yeah, in terms of the, the luxury and how things have evolved, I think key in today's times is in luxury space. I think the, the luxury of not being close to another person is, is essential. And Africa really offers that if we, we go beyond, you know, the finest linen and the, the, the best food and beverage, what we can offer is in the details and the space. And it really, it really is a phenomenal offering as Africa. Yes, agreed. And Marianne? Well, I think that luxury has totally evolved um, and that for a long time, it was connected to something outside that you could just buy and now it is something that you can live and um before it was connected to you know beautiful materials and marble and whatever but now it is also it is this but it can not be this at all and be a totally personal experience a connection to the place now you also have the fact that younger people have more money than they used to have. You have digital nomads who can afford to stay in a five-star hotel, but who could find much more fun to be connected to the urban culture, urban music, urban art. And I think that the luxury is now as diverse as life and that there's not one um, definition as when I was a child where it was only five-star hotel. Now it's really, really broad. And the new thing also is that the culture is alive. When for a long time, and it was also a reason why African, culture, African countries were seen as landscapes only, uh, beaches, safaris, because people were 
not giving its true value to the living culture in Africa, which was often urban and connected to the people. And now the, um, there's diversity everywhere. And there's as many definition of luxury than there are of people. And this is something that I find very new. Yes, I, I totally agree. And I think this is um, definitely a trend moving forward, um, especially when we are all traveling again. Um, and actually to that point, I wanna start this question off with you that you are relatively close to a large city. I believe driving distance, Johannesburg, yes, maybe. Um, are you in your marketing how are you you know you're and you're about to open so in your marketing who is who is your target audience who are you hoping to welcome into this hotel because i'm guessing it's not the sort of traditional older retired couple um arriving for their three weeks across africa yeah no look so so we're actually not that close to johannesburg we are about a six hour drive away from Johannesburg, but it's a very easy flight. So um, yeah, we, we're, in the, we're in the middle of the Kruger National Park. So in terms of isolation, we are perfectly positioned. Um, but I mean, we, we as South Africa, we're starting to hit our peak um, in terms of the, the COVID cases. Um, and I think it has fluctuated a little bit. I think the, um, the perception of luxury, you always looked at your, your traditional markets first, you know, the US, the UK and Europe. I think we, what one needs to consider nowadays is beyond a geographic location. You need to look at a specific mindset. So in that light, we are targeting the Afropolitan specifically. Um, and to, to quote my, my good friend, Greg Maloko from, from our sister company, um, Kayim, you know, Afropolitan is is more than a, a race. It is a, a mindset. It is that you are African and you're invested in Africa um, through, you know, physically and intellectually. Um, you can be you can be any race, but your love, your heart sits in sits in Africa, and that is that is who we are targeting. We're targeting people with a like-minded mindset who the the people looking for a specific experience beyond a specific thing it's it's the kind of person who would rather buy an experience you know put their money towards a unique experience that will live in their mind and their hearts forever than buy physical things you know put money towards a luxury vehicle they it's that mindset we are after more than where you're from or what what does your bank account look like Yes, very good point. And, and Claire, you are, you know, you're working with a sort of, I don't want to say non-traditional market because we've been traveling for a while, but I will say overlooked. We've, we've been overlooked as a demographic. Um, what are you, how do you think your marketing is different um, when you know, we're talking about the diaspora of Black Americans? Well, for starters, uh, our marketing, when you look at it, it's predominantly, it's all people of color. So, you know, when you go look at most of luxury websites, Instagram, there is no diversity. Um, so for someone who's traveling, who looks like me, when they look at the website, they can't even imagine themselves. But for, but when we see ourselves, it just opens so many doors. And we've seen that from, I think, Travel Noir, which was one of the early 
you know, known online social media pages that started to show like, oh my gosh, like, and for me, when I saw other people that looked like me traveling, I was like, whoa, I can go to Paris by myself. So for one, it's the marketing. And then it's also creating experiences that are not just, you know, luxury is past. I think, you know, like I said earlier, staying at a nice hotel, it's really that experience. It's also that personalization. So making that thing very specific. And then now like post COVID, well, it's not going to be a post COVID with COVID as someone mentioned earlier, it's definitely going to be about how do I also make this safe? What is that whole experience from when I leave my house to when I actually get to the location? What is that going to be? And so that, you know, leaves open a lot of doors for different uh, vendors that are catering to luxury clients. Think about how do we personalize and make that luxurious experience still amazing, given some of the constraints with masks and being having to be separate from different people. And, you know, Marianne, also to that point, you know, you're in one of the most popular cities in the world. Um, and I imagine you have, you know, travelers from all walks of life. Are you seeing a shift in sort of who, who is arriving, um, you know, from where, you know, what they look like? How, how have you seen that change? I mean, you mean before, before the, the borders were closed? Uh, yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's again, no let's one. go back a few years. Yes. Let's pretend like we can all travel and nothing weird is happening outside. Um, you know, in, in general, you seem like a shift in your customer. Oh, yeah, well, you know, um, I think I, considering the whole city, because, you know, a product has a certain type of customer. So it's not that I had seen a huge shift. I have more and more people from different countries, I would say. And in the last three years, I've been very happy to see see the clientele becoming much more diverse in my own place. Um, the mosque is calling now. Um, because um, I had some press in the African-American press and then it started bringing African-American people to my place. Um, I think that Marrakesh has uh, um, the, the big shift here between the moment I came for the first time in the mid 80s and now is that you have a big diversity of offer in terms of accommodation and you have a boutique concept from all budgets when i came for the first time you only had the very big hotels like the very famous mamunia and then you had backpacker hostels and a few hotels from con for conventions so this is what gave me the idea to create a boutique place and my first place opened in 89 and by Chronological coincidence, I was the first one. It was just that I thought that a place with such a strong uh, culture and a strong, I mean, an aura. You know, I'm from Paris, and in Paris, Marrakesh was very famous because of Yves Saint Laurent and a few other famous people who were here. And then you would come, and if you were not introduced to special circles of people, you just didn't get it because you only had convention places. And you had Mamunia, which was not, I mean, it's not everybody who could afford to go there. And then you had hostels. So um, this has totally changed. And now you have a big diversity of accommodation. And with that, it has, it has um, attracted people from all over the world and from all kinds of needs. But what is really interesting is that you have people with, uh, I would say, not such a big budget, who are extremely sophisticated in their approach of traveling. And you have people with, you know, deep pockets who are really not at all interested in 
what I personally find the most interesting things to see. So it's diversity all over. And I think this is very good because in, in normal times, it brings business to everybody. Yeah, this is true. And this next question, I'm gonna start with Claire. Um, you know, I think traditionally, and this is also a question from, from um, one of the members, you know, traditionally a lot of travel to Africa, and I think this is also true in places like India, Mexico, um, it's a lot of don't look at people, get, get straight to your splashy resort with a big wall around it and say that you've been to Mexico or, you know, I think in, in Africa's case, you know, you know, how quickly can you get into the bush? to your luxury lodge but i think that people are now wanting to see more culture whether that be a visit to a market you know maybe it's a township museums um how how do you see that playing into the luxury market and i guess claire how what are your guests asking to see yeah so for my guests uh because we are african-american we always want to incorporate aspects of the history in that specific location uh, we usually prime our clients up. So like before the trip, we have Facebook groups and WhatsApp groups for them to actually receive different articles, reading materials. Uh, we send them books on some of the trips so they can kind of educate themselves. Um, but the thing that I think has been the most powerful is we partner up with um, organizations on the ground like Tastemakers Africa, um, which is a great company that, that reaches out and partners with a lot of locals. So their experiences are way they're just super amazing from different intensive urban art walks to, you know, being able to connect more with locals that actually live and that are from the area versus like going to like more some of the other companies that are, you know, the large companies like a Viator. Um, they just have so many different uh, unique experiences. So being able to partner with organizations like that, I think can enhance providing a more local and authentic experience outside of, you know, the general stuff people always go to. Right. And Marianne, how are you seeing, you know, you mentioned that, you know, you're, you have different guests wanting to do very different things. Um, but are you seeing more of a desire to sort of see, I mean, it sounds a bit basic, but like the real, Mar the real Marrakesh, for lack of a better term. Well, the real, the real Marrakesh is very easy. I mean, here, it's, you know, you have the soup, you have the, the, the markets are very vibrant and very part of the real Marrakesh. So it's not as complicated as in some other places. Um, but I think that all the people who are coming to uh, our place, they are the simple fact that they choose a property like ours, which is very, I would say, lived in, authentic. There's a library. I mean, there's a p two pianos. I mean, it's really like a big family house, um, a big bigger family house. And um, so people who would choose to come here, it's because they want to have a, a kind of real life experience um, where they can have cooking classes and they can walk in the kitchen. I mean, they, it's, it's not like a hotel where you have a big waterproof wall between what the clients are supposed to see and the rest. Um, but it is true that uh, because Marrakesh is also three hours away from most European capital cities, we have a lot of people who it's like the 15th time they come so and i think it's not only with our place it's in other places many places have a very loyal clientele because we're so close to europe so um the people who have come here many times they come it's just like 
it's very familiar for them. They walk in the old part of town and then they come back to a place like mine, which is 25 minutes away from the center in the, in the countryside. And um, they just could just also stay one week without going out because they came with their computer and they, they, walk from the, they work from the garden. And I think this is something which is going to be a very strong um, trend with the new, probably not with places like what Judith is, um, is doing, but in many other uh, destinations, and it can work also in Mexico, for example, people now they have started to work from home. So why would you stay in a gray, uh, you know, rainy, uh, cold place when you can just move with your computer uh, in a place where in the sun for two or three weeks? And I think this is going to be the, the new big and strong trend of uh, both hospitality and tourism where people want to mix a bit of both. You see, for example, someone like me who would all my life, I would just hop on a, on a plane to go to a wedding or to go to a party for two days in Europe. I will not do this again. If I, if I will say yes to the invitation when this COVID thing is finished and everybody's back financially because right now everyone is broke. But um, I would stay a whole week or 10 days. I'll go with my computer. I'll answer to my clients from wherever I am. But I feel guilty about the waste of just hopping on a plane for a weekend. And I have been speaking, you know, many of my uh, clients have, I've known them for so many years that we're friends. Everybody kind of feel the same. And I think it's going to be a general trend for some destinations to integrate the fact that some people are going to come for a longer time with their work and their activities on site are going to be a mix of enjoying the place, but also working. I don't know if you feel the same, Claire, but I think it's it, for us in Marrakesh, I think it's going to be very much the new post-COVID life. I, I think so. I would like to come and work from your garden. If that oh, anytime, <laughs> anytime. Um, Judith, um, and I know you are, you know, the you know, you're very remote and in the middle of the park, but are you seeing, and I know you haven't quite opened yet, but are, are you seeing, or your bookings, are these mostly people coming just for safari and sort of that traditional sense of like, get out of Johannesburg as fast as possible and get into the bush? Or are you seeing more of a sort of city safari itineraries? And are those guests, are they looking for more kind of cultural experiences? I think Johannesburg is a, is a great city for that. Um, but, you know, are the, what, are you, what are you seeing in your future guests? It's, it's a very interesting um, question and, and there's definitely a shift. Um, the kind of customers we, we are seeing are the, a, lot, a lot younger the guys who's looking for something unique, something, you know, be the first to, to sleep on this bridge over the river with crocodiles and hippos and lions walking underneath you. Um, so it really is that wow factor. So I almost want to call them the Instagram um, <laughs> generation. <laughs> yes. No. 
lying in that bath with your glass of champagne and you can see 50 elephants walking underneath you while you top over. Um, you guys saw that that swimming pool picture that in the beginning that Naledi shared. Um, you know, it's, the, it's those people that's looking for something that just takes your breath away. That it's those unexpected surprises. So, to answer your question, are they coming for city and safari? Uh, a definite trend we've always seen is the link where you go Johannesburg, Cape Town, Kruger National Park, and onwards. Um, we're still seeing quite a lot of that, but we are seeing um, a lot of people, the locals, wanting to get out of the cities, planning a weekend away. So we've, we've seen an influx for that from December to, to March, um, with locals saying, can't wait, Kruger's a weekend away destination for us. So in terms of locals, definitely seeing that. Whereas the international nation, we are seeing quite a, a, an extensive um, itinerary, like I said, Cape Town, Johannesburg, Kruger linking, and then often onwards from there. Um, and popular destinations are Vic Falls, um, and then in Mozambique, and the, the islands, the, the Indian um, Ocean Islands, so Seychelles, Mauritius, and onwards. So it's a very interesting dynamic where people want to see cities, they want to see beach, they want to experience food and beverage, they, they want to drink the wines in South Africa, they want to see the animals. Um, so it's really diverse and what, what you'll see is people will often combine the most luxurious safari experience with the most down-to-earth play, you know, place in a city. Um, so it really is a blend um, and, I, and I find that fascinating and interesting and, and we, we so fascinated with where this young market, the, the millennials and the generation X, um, you know, the, the, the adventure seekers, the experience seekers, the ones who want the luxury, but it's beyond the, um, the touchy feely, but it's the, are you responsible? Are you sustainable? Are you, um, you know, gearing towards that, Instagram moment. So it's, it's been a very inter interesting, interesting shift. Yeah. I mean, what's the quote? If it's on our Instagram, it didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, Claire, we have a question for you uh, from one of the members. Um, are you doing customized itineraries? Are you doing group tours? Sort of what is your, um, how, how are you working? Um, and then what is like the average number? Or maybe you do both. But if you could talk yeah. about your your actual um, trips? Great question. So right now we have about 27 destinations. Um, we organize group trips. So anyone can go on our website and book any trip uh, from anywhere that we service from $2,300 all the way up to 15,000 for our trip to Antarctica. So it really depends. We also do individual trips. So anyone who wants to go to any of the destinations but wants to go with their family or just for their birthday, we also do that as well. And that has actually turned into a very uh, busy part of our business with South Africa last year being our most busiest destination of everyone wanting to do some of the custom things that we have planned, but just with their smaller group and their family. So that's definitely something that we can do. We've done trips uh, as large as, you know, planning for two people to go to, we've hosted trips to up to a hundred people where we bought out a whole hotel in Mexico to host events. So our, versatility and being able to buy out yachts. We've bought out yachts in Egypt and Croatia. So we've done a lot of stuff, not just trips, but we like to curate this whole experience. So taking in what you care about 
and really infusing that. But the core of that is definitely education. Um, since a lot of the things that's happened in the US specifically um, with Black Lives Matter, we've also made some initiatives internally to also educate our um, clients and consumers about more black owned businesses and also more history, not just in the US, but how that translates to abroad and how we're connected, because those aren't things that are taught historically when you're growing up in school. Yeah, yes, very, very true. Um, and this is sort of the, you know, the elephant in the room, as it were, um, the COVID question. So, you know, we have a few questions, you know, coming in about, you know, your business. So I would just like to know what is kind of your COVID strategy? I think a lot of people have sort of written off 2020. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I've heard different ideas. I know there are a lot of safari companies, particularly in East and Southern Africa, doing local rates and really marketing to in-country travel. Um, but what are your sort of plans and how are you, how are you all going to get through or how have you gotten through so far? Um, Marianne, do you want to start? Well, um, it is true that it looks like nothing is going to happen really. Um, even if the next bookings coming in are for October, we all hope that everything will be back enough in kind of normal situation so we can have the guests from October. But it seems like people are still a bit paralyzed, um, not knowing what is going to happen. Second wave seems to be happening in Europe. And uh, also the situation in the US is very, very scary. Um, I think that if everything goes well, 2021 should be quite busy because everything which was happening, we do a lot of private parties, a lot of weddings, and everything has been postponed to 2021. Plus the new request coming, it looks like the, it's going to be hopefully busy enough in 2021. So little by little, we can cover the losses of 2020. But most people say that it's not before 2022 that it will come back to kind of the the normal rhythm and we were quite spoiled because 2019 was good i guess it's the same for you claire i guess judith didn't know what you were it was also the same and 2020 was going to be absolutely phenomenal and so everybody's shocked and puzzled but i think the good thing is that everybody has become extremely creative and um we are all going to diversify our offer and uh, things are going to, there's, there's going to be some positive things outside uh, coming out of this moment, even if right now it is horrible. Because, you know, a city like Marrakesh is really living off the tourism. You have, I don't know how many thousands of families which have no more income because, you know, the father was a bus driver and the, and the, son was a guide and I mean the the domino effect is absolutely crippling everywhere and this is going this is really even though the government is doing what, everything they can I think that it will take time to get out of this really time yeah yeah I agree and you know Judith uh, how are you know how are you and I even you're opening this weekend so how tell us what you know what does that look like and how can you you know <laughs> and well you can travel people can travel within their province in South Africa now right 
correct, yes. So, um, yeah, we're opening this station, um, which is not the train on the bridge. So I, I should just clarify that first. This is a food and beverage and edutainment kind of center um, offering in the Kruger National Park for any day visitors or game drive visitors to come and visit. So that one we're opening, but the train on the bridge, we're only opening in December. And I suppose that um, was a, a blessing and a curse at the same time, because it meant we had to stop construction during lockdown. Um, we, we couldn't continue for about four months. So it means we're opening in December, but at the same time, you know, the, the market can recover a little bit in that time. Um, yes, interprovincial travel. So within Mpumalanga, the province which we are based in, is now allowed to travel for leisure purpose. Um, and yes, luckily Kruger National Park being the iconic destination that it is, are attracting a lot of people who want to just get out of the house. I think somebody mentioned earlier, if you've been on your laptop in a grey room, why why would you want to stay there? <laughs> Whereas if you if you have the luxury of coming to a place like the Kruger National Park in your own vehicle, you know you're safe. You know you know if you take your precautions, um, it, it's the ideal get out because you get to see the animals, but you 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 are protected. Um, now that accommodation within the province is allowed as well, um, and that was just gazetted this week, so now we will see how that how that starts changing. Are people going to come and stay over? Is there still a sense of fear? We are quite optimistic that you know people are desperate to get out of their houses um, for a weekend away, and I must say all the accommodation establishes that I, establishments that which I've spoken to have really taken the greatest of care where you know the sanitation is key and after each guest's leave you know going through that whole process again and I think reassure you know make people come back and reopen travel now for us um, because we weren't operational yet it means we can set our policies right from the beginning so when we get our, our bookings now we're quite open to guests to say this is how we will be implementing it it's not necessarily bringing in new systems like many other people would have to do it means we had to do new systems from the beginning um, it's about training your staff um, and and how to adequately prepare for your guests and i think yeah i think i think we we're there i think we've seen a lot of optimism um, from the people who have booked us we've seen a lot of excitement people are so keen to to travel um, I've mentioned that we're a long-haul destination earlier, and I think that's still true, you know, especially a, a place like the, the U.S. markets where we know um, the leave days are much shorter than other, other countries. To take two days travel time, for instance, to get to South Africa, um, you know, you've got, to, you, you've got to have your stuff lined up. You've got to be desirable. You've got to be all that, and your service has to be there as well. So now that extra level of are you COVID ready? It's absolutely key. Yeah, this is uh, I represent. I work with a lot of safari companies, and it definitely is you know sort of figuring out how to how to change it. Um, you know, was a task, but I think a lot. You know, they're doing a really good job though. So hopefully, people will will be traveling soon. And Claire, are you having sort of you know queries? When when are you seeing people are kind of looking to travel again? December for Judith, she would like, you know, December could be good. But what, what are you seeing? Um, I have a good, good amount of clients who are ready to go, um, you know, as soon as possible, like later this year. However, 
Um, we will not be doing anything this entire year based on just from a safety standpoint. We do group trips. So from a group perspective, I don't feel comfortable bringing a group of African-Americans that have been, you know, affected disproportionately with coronavirus on a group trip together. Uh, it just sounds like a disaster until we get closer to having like a vaccine and better ways to understand how to treat it. So for us, uh, we're not going to be traveling until next January, most likely. And uh, in the meantime, what we've been doing is really, um, there was a question in the chat about, you know, what should you do now as a travel advisor? And I think now is the time to connect with your clients. It is a time to connect and really provide value. And so although we're not traveling right now, we will be. Like 2020 is going to be on and popping. It's going to be exciting, crazy. You know, we had about 10 new bookings already for next year, and we're not even really promoting um, in the last two weeks. And so now what we're doing is really focusing on webinars, looking at all your products that you sell. Now what we're doing is really focusing on webinars. Sorry, did you guys hear that? Okay. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, so we're focusing on ways to connect and provide data. So that means webinars firstly, so we're having webinars to our clients. That means webinars firstly, so we're webinars to our clients. Sorry, I'm hearing a lot of Sorry, I think Moroccan um, Wi-Fi is messing up. Ah, okay. Okay, um, the other thing too, to webinars is connecting with people on Instagram, providing content on the different destinations that you can help with connecting with people on us. Right now, people are providing content travel. What will that be helping them understand that process from packing, um, from traveling on that flight? And there's so many different things people need to think about. So providing that value now, so you are that go-to person when they are ready. And so for us, we're going to be doing mostly individual trips in 2020 for people who'd like to go versus getting like a group of strangers together. Um, at the travel process from packing, uh, you are that person in 2020 for people who'd like to go versus getting like a group of strangers together. Claire, you're, I think you're the host. Can you mute Marianne for one second? Just to see if that Naledi is in a hurricane, and I think her. Can you I'm trying to mute it, but it's not letting me. Let me see. Can you mute it? Kind now of. Work now. Now, now it's mute. Okay, I think we're good. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> Did you Naledi dropped that? out. She was the host. There's a um, there's a hurricane on the east coast, so she might be, she might lose power um a few times. But can everyone hear me? Okay. Yes. Okay, good, good, good. Um, I also I now want to pivot to like what's a passion of of mine apart from traveling for food, which is usually why I travel. But um, there's sustainability. So um, my company, Franklin Bailey, we we try to focus on what we call purpose-driven travel companies. So whether that be sustainability or just investing more into local um, companies and local causes. So this is kind of very dear to um, to our business. I think my other half, Mercedes, is watching. So hello. Um, but we, can you each sort of talk about how you are incorporating sustainability into the business if that's changing post COVID? And again, when I say sustainability, not just you know no plastic straws, but you know how are you how are people around you benefiting from your property? What are local businesses you're investing in, um, etc. So Marianne, do you want to start? Uh oh. Oh yes. 
You have to unmute. You're muted. Can you hear me now? Yes, we can hear you. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. okay. So um, you see, um, from the beginning, like before we were talking about sustainability, um, we were very much into this because my husband is an anthropologist and an ethnobotanist, and from day one, our um, hotel was connected with uh, girls' education in the mountains. Uh, guests could choose a book with um, a photo and the dreams of each girl. And it was um, because, you know, here you have Berber and Arabic uh, as the two languages, but the uh, education is in Arabic. And so um, the girls coming from rural mountain areas, if they were entirely taught in Arabic, after a while they start losing the traditional knowledge connected to the environment, to the message. Um, you hear me? Do you hear me? You hear me? Can you yeah, hear me? It's a little fuzzy. Okay. It's a little okay. fuzzy, but I think you're okay. So I was saying that it is key for people to maintain a language because the language is the vehicle of a knowledge, and the knowledge is also about plants and eating and a lot of things. So we had the guests of the hotel who could choose, you know, they would um, pay the uh, education of kids uh, and it would allow them to stay in schools. Um, we have always been very, very involved because of my husband's uh, work and foundation. He has a foundation called Global Diversity Foundation. We have always been for over 20 years involved in uh, supporting local initiatives. It goes from um, making sure that um, there are um, organic uh, plant nurseries in the mountains, so the farmers have access to uh, organic seeds which are not uh, full of chemicals and they can um, continue their uh, plantation. It goes from growing our own organic food and supporting a lot of families doing so, and all the food that we serve at the hotel in terms of vegetables, salads, and herbs is grown by ourselves. I mean, we've been connected in this very sustainable way, both humanly and also environmentally uh, from day one. So um, there's nothing, it's just who we are and what my husband does anyhow. So it didn't come later because, because it was a trend, I would say. Love that. And, and Judith, how, how are you, how, you know, how are you, you all, I mean, I guess in your case, it's wildlife and communities <laughs> would be your, your demographic for this. Yeah, look, I think um, sustainability for us are, are absolutely crucial. Um, being in a, in a national park, obviously there's the, the eco side of it, like you said, not just using the, the plastic straws and so on. So let's start, let's start with the, the eco side of it is absolutely no plastic um, policy. Um, but beyond that, we, we're going to be solar driven. So we're busy installing a very large solar roof on our offices, which is just next to the bridge. Um, so on our offices, which is just next to the bridge. I'm oh, sorry. Um, and then we, um, in terms of the, the economy and the, the social aspect, 
I think one of the the um, the communities sitting right outside the Kruger National Park is probably some of the poorest communities in South Africa. So it is incredibly important to us to create jobs. So sustainability in that side where we, we employ local. Second to that is our supply chains. We are, we are constantly looking for supply chains to support those small businesses who sit just outside the park. And you, you're talking from your, your fruit and vegetable suppliers to your crafts, to your, you know, wh whatever you can. We, we're constantly hungry to learn more who's got what. Um, and then to incubate some small businesses to help them grow. For instance, we've got a small bakery um, to, to very enthusiastic entrepreneurs who started a bakery business just outside the, the, the park and unfortunately they couldn't grow their business. So we've taken them, we've absorbed them into our business. Our executive chef is now personally training them, taking him under his, uh, under his wing um, from the, the baking aspect. We are then teaching them the business sense. And the idea is that within five years, they break away, but they still sit with us. So then they become a supplier to us, but as well as the other lodges. And that's the kind of policy we're trying to, to establish. Um, not only the, the, the bakery is a small example, but we'd like to see more and more of that. Um, but absolutely, in terms of how, how, how we do our business, how sustainable we are in the long term, we are also the, um, the community is a, a shareholder in the business. Um, and they have the potential to really increase their shares. So to, to with time over our 25-year concession, to grow more into the business and they have the potential to, at the end of the day, own 80% of this product. Love that. Like that is, um, yeah, I think that it's this local small businesses, um, especially in the safari space that is, that is so key. Um, and Claire, you sort of touched on this before by working with companies, you know, like tastemakers. I actually did a, a trip with them to the castles outside of Accra. Um, last November, so I just I just made it for a year of return. Um, but we, you know, I think especially because your demographic is Black Americans, there's going to be even an increased interest to support Black-owned businesses. I think particularly on these trips to to West Africa. Um, but can you talk a little bit more about how you vet those companies and like how you know how are your travelers really asking these questions or or not? Because I don't want to assume. But what are they looking for? So I wouldn't say that all travelers are asking, but it is something that fuels me. Um, economic and general, generational wealth among black people is definitely something that I'm very, very um, focused on. And so we work with as many black vendors as we can, locally owned vendors as we can, but a new initiative that, yes, I'll be calling you, Marianne. <laughs> um, <laughs> But a new initiative that I've started, I, you know, I am an expat and I live in Mexico. And then what, and so what I've been thinking about is, you know, the best way to actually make an impact economically is you teach someone how to fish. And so what I've done here is I pick one vendor a quarter that I work with to get them on Instagram. And I get them on Instagram. I teach them how to post. I teach them how to write captions and more importantly, how to beat the algorithm and make sure they have the proper hashtags. So when people are coming, to Mexico, they are attracting direct business. And so I started out with the woman who braided my hair and within an hour I had her Instagram up and now she's on and popping. She's uh, Playa del Carmen hair braiding on Instagram. She posts herself. 
she's gotten at least seven leads and random people from her Facebook page. And so my initiative now is I'm working with um, a reporter in Nairobi. We're going to create a leave behind, like a three or four page document to educate travelers. And more specifically, we're starting out with expats because we live and we know locals. So we're creating a program that has a quick cheat sheet to educate them on how they can make a difference because we all know how to set up Instagram and Facebook. And then two, a step-by-step -step tutorial and then links to YouTube video, YouTube videos in their language to get them started. This is only literally like a 90 minute investment. And this one investment will social, it, it will economically empower this person who literally stands on the street 10 hours a day trying to get people to braid hair and now because she has a Facebook page, she doesn't even have to go on it. There's a button that you click, it calls her phone. And so I'm gonna be working with all the different black expat communities as a starter to empower them with this information and really encourage them and start to track a dashboard of all the local businesses that we set up. Because we all know when people travel, they're going to Instagram. So let's empower these people locally so that they pop up when you're looking to get your hair braided. They pop up when you're looking to do something cool to do or a cool restaurant. Um, and that is where I like to focus on is purely the economic empowerment. And so while we're going to focus on the expat communities first, we're trying to figure out how do we actually operationalize this for travelers? Because most American travelers are tired, to be honest. They're tired when they go on vacation, right? You know, they only have two to four weeks off. So when they go on vacation, yes, they want to be involved, but they're also extremely tired. They spend 20 plus hours. So we're focusing right now on the expats who live, but we also want to do like a phase two long term to also connect them with people that are traveling on a trip so that before their trip, if they know of a local business, they can connect them virtually to walk them through and set up their Instagram, set up their Facebook. Is these really small things that actually are going to make a huge difference long term. To empower people so yeah i agree and I, I think the whole this whole idea of like <clears throat> excuse me social media and instagram as a mm -hmm. marketing tool when i went when i was in ghana i did a, the tastemakers um trip from accra up to the cape coast and was partnered with a local tour operator and there were some other it's like a black friend group from atlanta they had found him on instagram everyone else i saw at the cape coast were sorority groups and church groups so these were all i wouldn't say it was full but everyone traveling, no one had gone through a tour operator, any of like the, you know, I work in sort of working with magazines to get articles out. None of them had read these articles. It was purely, we saw it on Instagram. We found this guy and here he is. He's from the Cape Coast. He's amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that is, you know, it's a really, you know, valid point that just a good Instagram following or being able to search someone up where you go is um, is key. And I should actually mention uh, Kruger Shalati, like your parent company is a black owned uh, South African company, right? Yeah. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we have, you know, you have some, some new. Uh... <laughs> we love train rides. We did the uh, Brazil train ride and it was just absolutely amazing going through Machu Picchu and Lake Titicaca. I mean, blew my mind. Yeah, that is. Um, and probably, a, you know, Arguably, I guess, safer way to travel going forward. Although I should say that train is not moving, right? We're not, we're staying. <laughs> you don't want to move it now with all the pretty plunge pools. Um, but I think, you know, our time is almost up. Um, is there anything else, any sort of, we'll call them last words, 
um, about, you know, this space. I think one thing, maybe you can touch on it. Um, you did a little bit, I think African cities in general, in terms of luxury. Um, you know, I, I've traveled around quite a bit and I think, you know, cities like Kigali, Accra, um, you know, Johannesburg, I know everyone knows Cape Town, but I do think there are luxury experiences in all of these cities. So obviously Marrakesh. Um, but I, I'm just sort of wondering, you know, as you sort of um, say your final words, if you can talk a little bit about how the cities are playing in. Uh, Marianne, you wanna go first? Oh, oops. I think you're muted. Can I unmute you? Yeah, sorry. I, I didn't hear very well your question. Um, it was more how, how cities or urban experiences are playing into the new luxury market. And then if there's anything else you want to say, because our time is close to up. Well, the, I think that all, all cities and here in, um, it's more about the look, the art scene, which did not exist before as much. You know, art galleries, uh, modern painters. This is something which is very strong. We had the Biennale here. I was sitting on the board of the Biennale, which um, we had seven editions. Um, there's something called 154, which is the con uh, African Contemporary Art Fair. I think that this is a, the new luxury uh, because it brought different people to, to um, town people who were interested in the art world. And before these people would only go to New York or London. And now that they have discovered the vibrancy and the creativity of the African scene in terms of art, they're also coming here. So I think that this is what is new, uh, a new type of luxury for me, yeah. The, the rest exists, but they, we have this on top. Right, that's new. And uh, you know, Judith, how are you, you know, sort of, you actually, you know, we, we sort of talked about this a bit, but is there anything else you want to add about this amazing new hotel that you're about to open? Yeah, I think, I think, um, like I said, it, it is a stationary um, train. Um, what, what a lot of people don't realize is, is the story behind it. So I think many people find it interesting that when tourism started, um, in Kruger, this, it, it really started on this bridge. So the train, the trains in the, the 1920s would come in and park on that bridge. And there was no other way of visiting here. There were no roads and there were no camps. So we're really paying homage to that original experience where the warden at the time would welcome these guests. And for us, it's beyond, yes, it's a luxury it's a, it's a luxury experience. It's a luxury train experience. It doesn't move like it did in the old days. Um, it will have the finest linen. It will have the best meals. We've got a, a celebrity chef, you know, as but I think what's most important to, to us is creating it through the eyes of the guest. It is so important that experience and service is really what sets you apart. It's, it's the attention to the detail. Um, and that's really what we want to do. And of course, be proudly African. Um, a lot of people often say culture and, and luxury can't necessarily make a mix. And I think you alluded to that earlier as well in one of your questions. But we want to we challenge that and say it absolutely can. You can have a, a, the most luxurious product that screams Africa without have being the obvious 
um, picture people have in their, their mind of the giraffes and the sunset, there's so much more to it. And Marianne mentioned the, the art. I think art is incredible. It's a language in its own and art in all the forms, music and, and visual art. So yeah, absolutely. I think we're just very excited to bring this product to life, which has been a dream for such a long time. Um, and, and we're so excited to share it with the world, to show them this is Africa, this is African excellence. And um, we're, we're as great as, if not better than the rest of the world. I would agree. Um, and Claire, I guess one, the cities, you know, how is this playing in and then anything else you'd like to add? I'm sorry, what was the question about the cities? Just how do we see cities playing in? I think that that's kind of a new, at least when I sort of started off in this business, it was how you would go to Johannesburg and hide in the West Cliff, which is now the Four Seasons, and then get on your bush plane. And there was, you know, apart from Cape Town, there was no real stopping over in a city. So I'm sort of curious about your thoughts on that. And then anything else you want to add before we sign off? Yeah, so I definitely think, you know, urban experiences, you know, in cities like Johannesburg, it's definitely like increasing, you know, I felt like my first time to Johannesburg was a bit rough. And then the second time I fell in love with it so much that I've been dreaming about moving there um, during quarantine. Um, you know, like I said earlier, I really think finding local companies on the ground that work with locals to really look at a fresh look at what tourism is in like real life exhibits uh, through art, through food, through nightlife activities. And, you know, I, I mentioned again, Tastemakers Af Africa has really done a great job of showcasing that in several different countries in the continent. Um, and so I think that that's a great way to get started. Um, and I think the last thing I'll just mention is that, you know, when you just think about luxury for any of the vendors and, you know, travelers, people like me who own companies and providing a service, just really the best, one of the things I think you can do is really to educate your consumers, really share with them um, all the different things they can do culturally um, in the locations they're going to and also other options that are nearby because a lot of times, most times I think people just don't know and it's not because they're ignorant like the daily life of a lot of our travelers are super, super busy. And so the reason that they're looking to us or to stay with us is because they'd like Zen, they want to have comfort, and then they also want to experience the best. And so you're the front line of that. So it's really important that you get up to speed so that you can actually recommend all those amazing immersive things that they can do. Thank you all so much. I'm now really wanting to travel and realizing that it's gonna be a while until they let the Americans out. But um, hopefully I'll be you know, in, in Kruger in Marrakesh very soon. Um, and Naledi, like I said, is having, they're in a hurricane. So I'm going to say goodbye um, on half of ATA and for everyone watching, you know, there's some really cool new um, panels coming up with Evita Robinson, a few more panels that are sort of a deep dive into Safari. Um, so just check your emails and to the three of you. Thank you. Um, you know, I guess two of you, good night or good evening and Claire, have a good day. Thank you very thank much. Thank you very much.